Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello again, and welcome back to another bonus episode. Bonus episode. Bonus. Bonus time. Bonus. Beans time. Beans talk. Uh, thank you, all of you out there. If you're listening to this, then thank you for being a member. Thank you for yes. helping make this show possible. We really appreciate it. And to show our appreciation, we, we are making you a bonus podcast. That's episode. right. Look at that. It's just for you. It's just for you. Specifically for you. So... For this month's bonus episode, Kirk, Maddie, we are getting nostalgic. We are going back and ripping open our childhoods and mining. We're digging into our childhoods and mining for, <laughs> for gold, for memories, <laughs> memory gold to share with the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, our personal are histories, our biographies, yes. Hope you're ready memoirs. for some fracking. Hope you're ready for some memory fracking, some <laughs> yeah. childhood fracking. This is how you turn your, your childhood into content. Yeah. So this is this is the exercise, the kind of little game we're going to play today. So each of us have come with five games, five formative games from our childhood. Maddie tried to make it like 12 games, but I was like, no, <laughs> For it has some to be reason, five. that was considered not, like, just not allowed too many No, not many part games. of the game. I do I have think, the um, full list here. But I will not review no, it. No, you're not allowed to review it. No. <laughs> you, can, you can tweet about it. Okay, so uh, here's the thing about these games. Uh, and the criteria for these games are that they're not the greatest games of all time. They're not the best games we've ever played. They're the games that were formative to our childhoods, to us as human beings in some way or another. Maybe we learned something from them. Maybe they had an impact on us in some way, some interesting way. And so we're going to go around and we're each going to pick a game and share. We're going to each going to share a game one at a time until we each get to five and talk about why we picked it for a couple of minutes. So let's get on with it, shall we? You guys have your lists. You have your game let's names in front of you. Let's um, do it. Okay. Kirk, kick us off. It'll be Kirk, Maddie, Jason. Okay. So my first game is a Game Boy game from the early 90s, I think from 93. Let me see if I'm right about that. Oh, no. Wow. Much earlier. 1990. So this is actually this is the first game on my list. And I was 10 years old. In 1990, when I played this game. Amazing. The game is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan. (laughs) (laughs) I had this game, and I I played it a lot. The sound effects were super good. So, yeah. So this game was, obviously, a licensed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. It is, I think, included now in, isn't there a new collection? Yes, there is. I'm seeing it as the Cowabunga Collection, which was just released and has, I think, all 18 million of the various Teenage mm-hmm. Mutant Ninja Turtles games that were released between whatever it is, 88 and 92, or, you know, with the absolute <laughs> peak of Turtle Mania. Uh-huh. And this is the one that I played because I only had a Game Boy. So the reason I brought this in and the reason it was formative for me was it's kind of emblematic of a certain type of Game Boy game that I really enjoyed, which was... The type of Game Boy game that made me feel like, okay, maybe this isn't the the big Nintendo one. This isn't in color, but it's the next best thing. And I'm, <laughs> I'm getting to experience video games in a way that had previously been denied to me. <laughs> so I've explained before, I, I'm, I've mentioned many times, that I, I wasn't really allowed to have video game consoles when I was a kid. Um, this was just kind of my parents' belief that... I would be too into them or they would take too much time or they didn't mm-hmm. want them watching TV all the time. And I give them credit for that. I, I think, you know, as much as I love video games now and, and have TV kind of had for the, that matter. Have, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've had the last laugh in terms of making video games a major part of my life. Like, I, you know, it's probably good for me as a kid to not be be playing um, Nintendo on my own TV all the time, even though I played a lot of video games at friends houses. So they made an exception for the Game Boy. 
And the deal was, this is also, I think, a common approach, um, that I got a Game Boy, but my sister also got one. So mm-hmm. we each had them. My sister is a couple years older than me, less into video games, but she really liked the Game Boy as well. She liked Tetris. She had a few games she was into. And um, we both got a Game Boy at the same time. Um, I think I like got it for my birthday, but then she also got one for my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to me and you. Apparently. Amazing. Um, so I played, t- I mean, when I look back at the games that I played on the Game Boy, did both both of you had Game Boys? Oh, yeah. I've got some Game Boy games. It's coming okay. up. <laughs> okay. My my rule was I'm only allowed to use a Game Boy while traveling, but I can use it unlimited on planes. So I learned to mm. love plane rides because wow. <laughs> there were no restrictions on my Game Boy usage at all, which I'm now realizing was a huge freedom for me. But of course, no you know, TV. So there probably mm. was some restriction on my usage, but then I think because it was portable, it was just so easy to play it. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that was that was kind of my way into video games really before a long time I didn't have console I think my first console was an Xbox an original Xbox that I just bought myself in college in like the year 2001 so quite a bit after this so anyways I you know I would play I think I played the Mario whatever the first Mario game was Mario was Land on Game Boy Mario Land yep Mario Land yes you I played that you fly in a ship there's some cool mechanics Very cool. in that game right so some of Submarine. those Nintendo games those first party Game Boy games are good but there was a lot of wreck on the Game Boy um, yeah. from third parties. In this case, this was a Konami, a Konami game, um, Fall of the Footland. And the thing was, I was obsessed with the Nintendo um, TMNT game because I was really into Ninja Turtles. When I was mm-hmm. 10, I was the exact age that Ninja Turtles were the coolest thing in the world. I was so, I read the comics because I had a friend who was like my hip comic video game like friend who hipped me to all the cool. He like, I saw Akira at his house for the first time, like Whoa. Vampire Hunter D. We saw all the, all the weird anime and stuff. And then he, um, he was into the Ninja Turtles, like the manga. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the black and white, like yeah. kind of gritty. It's really violent. And, it like, is. I read them kind as of an badass. adult. Yeah. I feel like as a kid, maybe the fact that it was trying to be a parody wasn't as obvious and it just came no. off as completely straight lace right and because it's kind of r-rated or it's sort of edgy in that way it just seemed like as a kid i was like oh this is serious this is serious Mm -hmm. business and then of course it became more and more silly i was excited about the live action movie oh my god i was so excited i'll never forget what i saw there were a few of them one of them they were all wearing samurai gear i remember yeah yes turtles in time i think they go back in time to like you know to japan but really the peak of the series was uh the super nintendo one which is another turtles in time like they're going right i don't know if you ever play that one but that was oh yeah that was the one that was in arcades as well. Mm-hmm. That was yes. that's yeah, and that the newest Shredder's Revenge is kind of it's fashioned after that. that. That's yeah. the beat 'em up. So mm-hmm. I was really into the NES one just because I didn't yeah, have it's an more Nintendo. of a platformer than a beat 'em up. It was that, a platformer, and it also had a kind of top-down section mm-hmm. where you're like moving through the world and going between manhole covers. Oh yeah, and I never, pl- I've never played it. I don't really know what it looks like because I read the entire guide in Nintendo Power, Aww. which this is again something we've talked about before. But because yeah. I wasn't allowed to have the console, I would you get a Nintendo. Power, or I would buy the. I think I would find a way to get the walkthrough at the Scholastic Book Fair, and then it was like I was. It was basically reading a Let's Play, yep. you know, a guide. So Just I, imagining I had been imagining that you could play it, cutting out right, like, the characters right. and moving Using them around my imagination. on the rug. And like, I don't think that game was very good. So like, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I was missing much by imagining. I probably was imagining a better game 
than, than it actually would have it been was if hard. I played it. It was very hard. Yeah, so was Fall of the Foot Clan. So when I finally got Fall of the Foot Clan, I was so psyched because it was like, I'm going to play a Ninja Turtles game now. And, you know, it was on my Game Boy. But it still looked pretty cool. My main memory of it is, like, the turtles looked cool. The art was pretty good. And it was brutally difficult. It was so hard. I mean, it was just a side-scrolling action game just like the NES one. Um, but I played it so much. Like, th- there are a bunch of games like that. The Terminator 2, like, Game Boy game. These kind of terrible licensed Game Boy games. The Home Alone one I played a whole bunch of. So this is kind of standing in for all yeah, of those Yeah, you games. had to set the traps for uh, as you were mm-hmm. going through. That was, there were a lot of intruders in your house. It wasn't just two. It was like... <laughs> it was, the Wet Bandits were more of a kind hundreds. of gang. Yeah, it was <laughs> terrifying. Game. Um, so that's my first pick, is uh, was, Fall of the Foot Clan... Uh, the the Game Boy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game from 1990. Maddie, what's your first game? So mine is also a Game Boy game, 1989 Tetris. I know we said these weren't the best games of all time, but yeah, this counts. This, <laughs> this is, is this one, one of the best of games of all time. <laughs> this was an extremely formative game for me. I had a few games in that category. Like I also had Pac Man, but I just was never that into Pac Man. But Tetris was. I mean, it is a video game to me. Like, it is the definition of a video game, and it is the metric by which I judge all other video games in terms of music, (laughs) design, colors, everything else. Is it fun? Can you play it for the rest of your natural life? I I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I just have so many memories of playing Tetris forever and ever and ever getting frustrated with it and i've no i've described very gently throwing my game boy on the bed in anger but like your yes. your 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 wherewithal is such that you are able to gently throw it on the bed i remember doing that if i felt as though tetris had treated me unfairly and had given me a string of blocks <laughs> that made no sense for what i had we've all been there i just i also remember i did this was like with a couple game boy games but i would just put the music on in the morning like while i was getting dressed for the day like i would like just put it on and just have the game boy nice. playing a song for the day because there was it's not mm-hmm. like it was easy to just listen to any song you wanted in this time period. Right. There was no YouTube where you could right, just you listen to just every version up. of the Tetris soundtrack <laughs> from all right, time. Exactly. Or like every version of whatever song you liked. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't possible. So, you know, you would, I would tape things off the radio on cassette tapes, but also I would just boot up my Game Boy to like a level that I thought had a cool sound or whatever and, and mm-hmm. play the song. And in Tetris, every single song is great. I would change the song and convince myself that changing the song somehow changed my strategy. Like if I was getting sick of Tetris, I would just change the song and then it's like a whole new video game. I don't know. (laughs) Tetris is freaking incredible. And I still have it on my phone and I still play it sometimes because it's still good. You should check out the new Tetris, a.k.a. Threes, which is the only game that has come close to matching Tetris. <laughs> I don't know. Tetris Effect is where I thought you were going to go Tetris Effect it. is amazing. I've got that on it's Steam incredible. Deck now, and I just I play that all the no, time. No, but that's just more Tetris. Well, but who who needs anything else is my take I'm just saying, if there's another puzzle game that is like as timeless and perfect as Tetris. It's I like Threes. I, I, I do like it, but... I don't agree. I think Tetris is the go. Yeah, I don't know. Tetris is pretty special. And it's funny. I played a ton of Tetris on Game Boy as well, just because it came with the Game Boy and I uh-huh. had no money. And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess this is video games for me. And yep. it is wild to imagine my past self seeing my future self playing Tetris Effect on a Steam Deck at I 60 know. FPS. And it's like exploding lights and colors <laughs> on this beautiful thing. Um, and I, man, I love Tetris Effect. I've actually been playing that recently. It's such a good game. 
Um, all right. My first game is a game that you guys probably have not played. I don't think you played this game. It's a game called Zork Zero. Are you guys familiar with this? Are you familiar with Zork? Only from you. You of the Zork games. I definitely played the original okay. Zork. That was okay. almost one of my one of my games. So the Zork games are, of course, classic interaction fiction, interactive fiction um, from the seventies, uh, eighties, um, and there was an entire. I mean, there was a company called Infocom that just made a ton of this interactive text based. You're fiction. standing in front of a White House. Yes, there's a mailbox. There's a mailbox. Yeah. yeah. So um, a ton of those games were. Uh, I. I I used to play a ton of those games because uh, my mom was worked worked in uh, she worked for Scholastic, the kids company, the kids like entertainment company, and she wound up getting like all these games and stuff as part of her work, and she would bring them home and just give them to me, and so I got all these free games. Um, even even as a young child, I was getting free <laughs> right. games. Um, wow, really? Just that's just been your life. Huh? It's pretty wow. crazy, right? That I mean, that in itself is probably what led to my career. That just getting a ton of like free <laughs> PC games. But <laughs> anyway, they're um, not free. Wait, you have to pay for them? Yeah, <laughs> right. How can I hack this? <laughs> so she brought home a lot of these Infocom games, and we'd play them together and stuff. But but uh, they were always too hard for me, or like I was young and didn't really could never really get super far until I got to Zork Zero, which came out in 1988. Um, so I would have been one when it came out. So obviously, I can't. I played it. Uh, a few years after it came out but um, <laughs> Zork Zero unlike many of the others is a comedy game and so essentially it's a prequel to the Zork series there are a ton of games in the Zork series including some more modern ones where it went and turned into like a graphical game and they added graphics but at first it was just a text game Zork Zero was made as kind of like a prequel like side story that is also a comedy the Zork games are very serious this is not and so it tells the story of like the ancient empire so Zork takes place in this like ruined empire and Zork Zero takes tells the story of like how it was ruined and what led to that and it actually ends Kirk with you are standing in front of a white house there is a mailbox right it's okay sure but Zork Zero is just like hilarious and weird and quirky and difficult and challenging and I eventually wound up just playing it by reading through uh, a walkthrough as I played but I enjoyed every second of it despite that because there's so much quirkiness to it you like you have to go around this weird world collecting different um, objects that belong to all these Zork royalty figures. Um, and they're all friggin' weird and dumb and stupid. Um, there's this elaborate, <laughs> there's this jester who keeps popping up randomly as you go and will like cast spells on you to like, like suddenly you'll feel yourself suffocating and you'll realize you have a clown nose on you and you have to remove it or he'll turn <laughs> you into like an animal for a couple of turns. Um, there's a card game that you have to play and the card game is like, it's like Calvin ball where the rules are impossible and just made up as they go along. And so you have to find a trick to <laughs> circumnavigate it. There are a lot of weird little puzzles like that. It's also a game that is like so poorly designed that you can lock yourself out of victory just by doing the wrong sure. thing at, at oh, any turn. Classic. So it is not, it is not necessarily a good game, but I just remember <laughs> loving it as a child and loving all this interaction. It was just like the perfect example of like interaction, fiction, interactive fiction for me. And I think, uh, I, I always loved like reading, and writing, but I think certainly one of the reasons that I wound up wanting to be a writer is because I played so much like of that interactive fiction, including Zork Zero, which was my favorite mm -hmm. of the bunch. So that's my first. Kirk, you're up next. I'm up next. Okay, well, this is another very writerly game uh, with a lot of writing. They're not interactive fiction, and that is from 1992, King's Quest VI, Air Today, Gone Tomorrow. Have either of you played this game? No, but I'm very familiar no, with No, but I've played other King's Quest games. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting series. This is the one that I am by far the most familiar with. It's a little bit like it's the where in time is, Car- in, is Carmen Sandiego of the King's Quest series. I think it's kind of seen as the peak of the, of this series. So this was a series by, um, well, I know Roberta Williams was one of the main writers. I, mm-hmm. She and her husband started Sierra, but I don't know how involved he was. This game was directed by her and also Jane he Jensen. Was more of the businessman. She That's kind of what I thought. So she designed this along with James uh, Jane Jensen, who then would go on to make Gabriel Knight. So these two women were responsible for kind of a lot of the games that I played in the 90s. And um, this is one that's always been kind of special to me. I was, I think I played this a little later. I don't think I played this right when it came out. And I think I'd probably played a few other Sierra point-and-click adventure games before it. Something we talked about, I think, in our episode about... Monkey Island on our main feed episode was the difference between LucasArts and Sierra mm-hmm. games and how in LucasArts games you couldn't die. And that was this really important distinction because in Sierra games, oh, you could definitely die. Um, and uh, and I think my next game is also a Sierra game. So I'll talk about that more there too. But in this game, there's not combat in King's Quest VI. You play like a prince, I think. What's his name? Um, I should know this. But um, he uh, he's basically like exiled and trying to to come back and find his way back to the throne. I mean, each King's Quest game is sort of about that. Um, it's very kind of pro-royalty, but in a kind of silly fairy tale kind of way. Like the world of King's Quest mashes up a whole bunch of different fairy tales. So you'll be in Alice in Wonderland one minute, and then, I don't know, whatever, some other fairy tale the next minute. And it's all pretty silly. Like, oh, you fight the Minotaur at one point in this game. There's a whole Minotaur maze. And um, so it's kind of like, it's funny, but it's also kind of melodramatic, like it has a sort of a dramatic romantic streak to it. And it's dangerous because you can die and you can even, I don't know if you can get stuck like fully, you can screw yourself by like not picking up a thing that you needed, but it's definitely got some of that weirdness um, that that adventure games like this had. So the main reason that I want to mention this is because it's tied to one of my fondest memories, which is that I played through this entire game while my grandma watched me. When I was probably 13 years old or something, which That's is so, so cute. That's it's adorable. so cute. And it's not something that I ever really did, but I was really excited about this game. I'd been playing it on like my dad's computer downstairs. And I think I had been just sort of talking about it and telling my grandma, oh, well, you know, it's it's all these fairy tales and whatever, you know, it's it's so cool. You know, you control the guy and you have to solve the puzzles. And so she asked to see it and I wound up playing through. She just kind of hung out. And I played through like many hours of the game. I think maybe most of the game. And I don't. I think it was stuff that I hadn't played through as well. And um, just while she watched me, and it's kind of, you know, this was a while ago, and uh, she died quite a while ago now. You know, maybe in ten years ago or fifteen years ago or something. So like, I don't have that many recent memories of her. But I, it's just this very strong memory. And it was a funny moment of this nerdy kid being like, "Look at this game!" And I think she really <laughs> legitimately thought it was cool because it was all of this mythology and these stories that she was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it was so clever, and the story is is charming and funny. So um, I think she genuinely liked it and wasn't just humoring me. Mm-hmm. Or at least Very that's good. what I tell myself. Yeah, that's great. She probably liked reading along with the story. Yeah. Those games are pretty mm-hmm. cool. The main reason I watchable. am familiar with them, yeah, is from Let's Plays and reading about them. Yeah. So I feel like I've played them just from people talking about what it's like to play them. And they're just as entertaining in that format. Right. You lose almost nothing by mm-hmm. not playing them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maddie, you're up next. 
Okay, so I've got a second Game Boy game here, and it is Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins from 1992. (laughs) So this came out when I was six. I don't know how old I was when I played it. I might have been six. I remember this game because it was the first game I beat. That might be a false memory. And I was I was really thinking back, like, is this is have I just told myself this or maybe Kirby's Dreamland was the first? I will never know. But I do know that Mario Land was very hard for me and that Super Mario Land 2 or Mario Land 2, maybe there's no super there, was significantly easier. And this is it's apparently notorious for this. I was Googling this and people are like, this is a notoriously easy (laughs) game. But to young me, I was just like. Thank God I can freaking play this, man. Like, because mm, you get the bunny ears and you get you the bunny ears. You can fly around, but also the save point system is a little different, and mm-hmm. you collect the coins, and that somehow affects how many lives you get or something. I don't remember. I that, remember but... this game. I remember the suit. Okay, I haven't yep. thought about this game in a long time. I know. I know. This is I really think it's taking most me back. Iconic. Well, the the lands are so iconic, and there's the pumpkin land, and then there's the giant Mario. That's the most memorable one, I think. The giant yes. Mario robot. Yep. Incredible level, incredible stuff. Uh, I just was so excited to beat a video game. And I also, my older sister was better at Mario than I was, which was infuriating to me. She could beat Mario Land and she started like speed running it on her Game Boy and being like, oh, it's so easy. And I was like, it's really (laughs) not. And so it was very exciting to me when I beat this, which naturally she was like, I've already beaten that like, you know ages ago and i was like whatever i beat it i beat a video game so that was a huge deal for me beginning of early competitive maddie nice (laughs) Nice. six golden coins yeah a great game um okay my next one is i was really debating here between final fantasy 4 and final fantasy 6 but i feel like the three of us have talked enough about final fantasy 6 so i'll stick with final (laughs) fantasy 4 so Final Fantasy IV was known as Final Fantasy II when I played it back in the 90s for the Super Nintendo. And what really struck me about that game when I played it was it was really the first game I played, at least on consoles, that told a story and had characters who you cared about and did things that no other game did, including like le- making forcing me to read and forcing me to like learn words <laughs> that I didn't know, like Spoonie. Mm-hmm. There's a line an infamous line, you Spoonie Bart. Um, yes. But yeah, I, I feel like I wouldn't, I learned a lot of reading skills from playing this game because I played it so young and then it kind of led me, because I had played the first Final Fantasy on the NES. I think I've told you guys this, but like as a kid, I could never get past a certain choke point and so I just played the first intro area over and over again and like barely, barely like only would finish it years and years later. But Final Fantasy 2, I could actually play through. I don't know how old I was, six, seven, whatever it was. But it was the first sort of like humanity. It was like an RPG that I could actually finish. And I learned the characters and like would be on the playground with friends who had played it, pretending to be the characters with them. And it was the first game that really stuck with me as like, oh, okay. Um, and of course, it would lead me to review Final Fantasy fifteen one one day. No, it would it would mm-hmm. uh, it would stick with me, and I think it was the first time that I was like, I really fell in love with that series and that genre and that type of game where you read and you learn a story, and it's all kind of like manifested in the gameplay. Um, and even today, it still does some super clever things. Like there's a character named. Tella and his whole storyline is that he he forgot all of his spells and he wants to go relearn this one spell so he can kill the big bad guy Galvez. Um and that's reflected by his magic points which is that like he learns uh well oh sorry sorry 
backing up a second. So then when he does relearn his spells, there's this one spell, Meteo, that is like the ultimate powerful spell, but he knows if he uses it, it will kill him. And that's reflected by his magic points. So you see it in his spell menu the entire time you're playing with him, but you can't use it. It's grayed out. It's like it costs 99 magic points and you only have 90. And then when he finally, he uses it during the story cutscene that is also an in-battle scene and it wipes him out. It's like the magic points were actually his energy and it wipes him out entirely and so it kills him as part of the story and that was a really cool moment like this is the first game I had played where like characters die and don't come back and like there are plot twists and like all, it's a whole elaborate story there's like um, the game came included with this manual that walked you through the first few hours of the game and uh, I thought that would be the entire game but then no it ends at like this point where you go to the underground and there's an entire new map and then you fly to the moon and there's another map so yeah it was just <laughs> mind blowing for me as a kid playing this game and kind of realizing what games were capable of and the scopes and scales that they could reach. Um, so that's Final Fantasy IV. Nice. Kirk, you're up. All right, I'm, I'm debating which of my two games to do next. I guess I'll keep it on the adventure game uh, in that in that zone and uh, and say that another very formative game for me among many adventure games I played was Quest for Glory for mm. Shadows of Darkness. Of course. Jason, you're you're smiling, so you've played this game. I have, yeah, it's a classic. Another tough game, but yeah. um uh yeah, so many fond memories. I remember always turning into like a werewolf or something and dying. <laughs> or yeah, like, letting the werewolf escape or something like that. It's true. You could die a lot of different ways. You could die in all of these games. So this series was this was another Sierra series that man, I played the first um Quest for Glory game. It was like I was young enough where I just was at software etc or whatever and looking at games and just saw this game called quest for glory and the back of the box i remember the back of the box saying you know groundbreaking visuals and it was the the visual it was like a i think that this character you talked to at the first in is on the back of the box i could probably find a picture of the back of the box and and really take myself back but anyways and just being like groundbreaking visuals i'm in and buying it <laughs> and then then playing it and, and really liking it. So these games um, were kind of groundbreaking in some ways. They the were visuals like, perhaps were? <laughs> really in some gameplay ways, but also they were kind of nice looking. Um, they they had some things that you now see in, I mean, in like Mass Effect or in, in Bioware games, um, where you would create a hero in the first game, and then if you beat the game, you could transfer your save file onto a floppy disk and then load it up in the next game in the series and your same hero would be playable. And the funny thing was, I, I don't remember the exact like variables between characters, but they all kind of look the same. Like you're the basic guy in, in Quest for Glory is just this like white blonde dude with a sword who's just like a very, uh-huh. you know, very boring um, early well, 90s. The, the big difference was the classes. You could be a fighter or a mage right. or a thief and then a paladin in for eventually. But yes. the thief, I remember, had the coolest stuff because you could go join the thieves guiles, guild. Yes, yes, there was the there was the there was a whole thief plotline, and you kind of had you wanted to play the game multiple times to see all that. But it was just thinking about a game like Mass Effect, where a lot of the appeal is that people put a lot of work into the look of their character, and and that look is like really tied to how they envision the character. This is just you're some guy, and like maybe you're a thief, maybe you're a warrior. Um, <laughs> But it was still pretty cool that that was possible. I'm not. I think I maybe only did it once, like carried a character over. I usually just started fresh. And a lot of times, my friends and I, I will admit now, because I think the statute of limitations has expired, we would totally take the discs and, you know, give them to one another. Because these games came on like this one on Quest for Glory Four came on like 
12 floppy disks or something. So I, my friend would play the game and install it and play it, and then he'd give me the disks. And there's totally like copy protection and you had to kind of share it around mm-hmm. uh, to be able to all play it at the same time. But I have these memories of sort of carrying boxes of floppy disks <laughs> to my friends' houses and installing them. So the other thing I'll say, so anyways, Quest for Glory 4, um, it's uh, it's kind of different than the other ones. It's, this, it's tonally the same, but uh, the setting is very different. So each setting, I, I suppose, is kind of different. The first one is kind of traditional, just sort of European fantasy, I guess. This one is a little more Brothers Grimm with kind of some Lovecraft stuff in there, too. I was watching some clips just of this game to refresh myself on it. And I'd kind of forgotten that a lot of the plot is about resurrecting this dark god that's going to, like, unify the spheres or whatever the hell. Like, they get kind of Lovecraftian, which is funny, um, just because these games are very silly. And they always they always were, this one in particular. There's a Bunny, is it a Vorpal Bunny? Is that what it's called? It's basically the rabbit mm-hmm. from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's this like blood fanged, but it's a tiny little rabbit and then you have uh-huh. to fight it. Um, there's combat in these games that's pretty terrible. You like click on enemies. Um, anyways. The thing that was always stressful for me was the timer because it was like on this actual day cycle. And if you spent too much yes. time <laughs> clicking around, you would lose because you would run out of time to do something. And that always right. stressed mm-hmm. me out as a kid playing it. Yeah, it was definitely a sort of challenging game on a lot of levels, though kind of experimental. Like it was, looking back on it now, it's sort of surprising how many sharp edges it had and just how how strange it was in a lot of ways. It would actually be probably kind of fun to replay it. So the last thing I will say is that this, I have this really strong memory of the menu music from this game because it features this keyboard guitar solo. So the music was composed by someone named Aubrey Hodges, who's a composer I'm not familiar with, but um, there's this very surprisingly convincing fake guitar solo that plays during the credits music. I just listened back to it. It's pretty, it's like, they do some guitar stuff, some bends that are like exactly what you would do on guitar, but it's not a guitar. It's totally this keyboard, which for 1993 was pretty convincing. And that made an impression on me even then. I remember like distinctly thinking, this isn't a guitar, but it sounds like a guitar. How did they do that? And sort of being interested in that. So that's kind of a, it was kind of a strong memory for me. So that's uh, Quest for Glory 4, nice. Shadows of Darkness. Oh man, I could talk about that game for a while. Maybe we should, yeah, do, a maybe we should do a triple Glory play episode. sometime. Yeah, I've <laughs> that, that would be pretty be fun. fun. <laughs> I'd be into it. Total total listens, 20. Um, <laughs> total cares? comments in this episode. You have lot, you are negative subscribers. <laughs> uh, Maddie, go ahead. Well, I'm going to go with a mega blockbuster, the Oregon Trail. Uh, So specifically, I want to say the Oregon Trail Deluxe was the version that I want to talk about here, which came out in 92. So I did play Mm -hmm. the original one at school. That was at school. But this one was the one that my parents bought for our home computer for whatever reason. And I, I looked it up today and just looking at this detailed pixel art instantly transported me back in time. And it was like <laughs> such an intense feeling to look at it and be like, oh, my God, I looked at this so much. <laughs> I didn't have that many games. This was one of the ones that I had. And it was also the game that made me realize that I really liked first person shooters, although I didn't know what those were yet then. So there mm. was a hunting game in the original Oregon Trail. But in Oregon Trail Deluxe, it was much more like it. it there's a reticle on the screen for your gun, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And there's like animals that go back and forth, like a big buck hunter situation. 
Oh yeah, and Looking it's at images of this. it's a little bit more detailed, basically. Like it's it's a shooter, mm -hmm. and and I would challenge myself, and I'd be like, okay, I'm only gonna live off rabbits because they move the fastest, so I'm gonna do an all rabbits <laughs> run, and nice. I, you know, just stupid crap like that and i would try to i would try to bring as little food as possible and only survive on my food and i i don't know i was playing a lot of oregon trail and it wasn't that interesting but really i was just playing the hunting <laughs> mini game constantly and then eventually i learned about shooters and i was like oh there's entire games where you can just click on stuff to shoot at it that's great because i didn't know that was a genre <laughs> but yeah i played it a lot and the other thing i did that um, I mentioned this in passing and Nico and Gita made fun of me for it. And so now I'm just going to confess it. I used to name all my uh, wagon mates after my crushes at school to motivate everybody, myself. Everybody that's does what this. I How could said, they make Jason, fun of you for that? They were that's like, wow, that, that's so weird, Maddie. And I'm like, no, everyone, <laughs> come on, everyone did that, totally right? Normal, yeah. Totally Every normal. Every single time I played an RPG with a female character, I would name, name her after, name it after your crush. I, I mean, perhaps, perhaps the weird part was that I would always, of course, have multiple crushes so and i would never assume mm. that any of them would actually be interested in me so it wasn't like i thought there was some type of conflict of interest in terms of them all being in the wagon with me or like we were all dating that wasn't the fantasy the fantasy was just that i would take care of all of them and make sure they all <laughs> didn't die and i it was very motivating. which is basically your job now is just taking care <laughs> of everybody it making kind sure of is them. yeah i guess and hunting every now and then i have to mm. i have to bring home bunnies to make sure that dina sure. is well fed and polygon that's all i do now that's my main thing. So, yeah, I played a lot of Oregon Trail Deluxe. A lot. It really is Big Bug Hunter. I'm looking at these screenshots, it and it's I would never really made that connection before, but Big Bug Hunter is just yeah. what if Oregon Trail hunting game was in an arcade mm -hmm. and had a gun. I've yeah, been, the difference yeah. being that you shoot it. It's a lot more kind of immersive. To I mean, you're holding a gun, gun. Sure. usually yeah. in a CD bar. But, yeah. When you're a kid, it's the same really, difference. Really, Duck like, Hunt is the original. Yes, Duck Hunt. Also, also well, actually, creates. Oregon Trail is before Duck Hunt, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um Okay, my next game is a little old game called Warcraft 2. Um, oh my god. Wow. I almost Man, I almost flunked French class because of Warcraft 2. <laughs> oh my god, Warcraft 2. So in the 1990s, I played every single game that Blizzard came out with. But uh, I was super young when Warcraft 2 came out. I believe it was 1994, so I would have been seven. And I remember getting it as like pretty much when it came out. But like... As was often the case with me and games like that, games back then, any game back then, I couldn't beat it. I, it wasn't like I couldn't wrap my head around a lot of stuff. I couldn't figure out how to beat it. It was very complicated, a lot of resource mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. So I would always just, always just use cheat codes. And I got so much satisfaction over just like making myself ultra powerful and blazing through every single mission and just beating it with cheat codes on. And I would go on to do the same <laughs> with, War with uh, StarCraft when that came out. Um, with Diablo 1 when that came out. Diablo 2 was the first Blizzard game that I like played for real and spent many hundreds of hours playing. But Warcraft 2 was really my first. I played a little bit of Warcraft 1 but never really got into it. Warcraft 2 was the first game that like turned me into like a Blizzard fan back then and mm. it got me to the point where I was mm -hmm. like I have to play everything this company comes up with because I was obsessed with it. My goodness. The, the way it looked, the way it sounded, yeah. the way it felt to play, the way that like if you clicked on a character multiple times they would like get pissed off and yell at you like the little charm even though it was like the serious story there was all this weird charm like the the orcs going orc, orc, and like the weird weird sounds and noises <laughs> and the music and man everything yeah. about it was just was just fantastic i loved the ogres the way that the ogres would just like yell at each other the two heads would yell at each other 
uh, <laughs> if you clicked them enough times. Yeah, um, that was such an early experience with game addiction for me. That's probably the first video game I got addicted to. Um, and oh, it yeah. really, like, I really was, like, not studying for a French final. I remember it very vividly because I was in high school. And just playing and playing. And I, I was like, I just would rather do this than study for French. Yep. Yep. And then well, I, I it was also, very So this is the French. key to Blizzard's success. It was also one of the first games that you could actually log in and play against other people. And it worked right. pretty well. Mm-hmm. And you could just play against your buddies or you could play against random people. It was just, it was a seamless experience. And then, obviously, they would overhaul. They would, like, make that even better, improve that over time and starcraft was really the game that i spent just like playing endless endless stuff like custom games with other people and stuff like that oh my god the custom games in starcraft the original moba and of strife mm-hmm. uh i used to play all the time in starcraft in the in the late 90s but yeah warcraft you really set 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 it all in motion and of course it was blizzards warcraft was successful for blizzard but not like like warcraft 2 was what made blizzard blizzard back then um so yeah good stuff good good stuff kirk you're up next all right, well, this is a game that I wanted to like and then realized that I didn't like. And I think that's an important it moment is. when you yeah. first have a game that you really think you're, is just has to be good. Excellent. And then you realize that you just don't like it. And that is The Seventh Guest. Oh, man. And do you know I, this game, Jason? I didn't play it, but I know it. Yeah, I know, you it. know of it. Maddie, do you know The Seventh Guest? I've heard of it. So this was a full motion video game. It originally came out in 1993. So it was 13. It's on CD-ROM. And it was really hyped when it came out. It was developed by Trilobite, which even seeing that name really takes me back. Um, And the whole thing was that there were actors kind of superimposed onto a, a, you know, video game scene. So it wasn't live. It wasn't full motion video. Like it's, you know, actors on a real set. It was like actors moving through a video game. And man, it was so cool looking. It was so exciting because it felt like this was, you know, the, kind of the age of full motion video because so shortly after this this is when Gabriel Knight 2 would be full motion video Roberta Williams would go on to make Phantasmagoria that very <laughs> misbegotten game that is full motion video and we get there's kind of this whole weird era of full motion video games that I'm sure a lot of people know about this was kind of the beginning of that and the belief was well yeah I mean that this is where we're going right obviously like video games are just going to become interactive movies and um it's actually really interesting to think about this game in the context of um immortality, immortality yeah which uh which really has some sort of really. similarities yeah yeah though immortality has the kind of haunting quality mm-hmm. like where the person that you are like is you know the, the thing you learn by your own unique vantage point winds up being part of the story which was true in the seventh guest as well this is like a haunted house game where um, this guy killed a bunch of people. He like, became a really successful toy maker, but he was always kind of evil. And then a bunch of kids die, and he he becomes a recluse and goes back to his house. And then you go there, and it's the ghosts of these people that he invites, these six guests who each have their own stories. A little bit like Clue, or, you know, I don't know, pick your, pick your famous uh, Hitchcock or Agatha Christie story. And then they all turn on one another, and they get killed by traps in the house, or they kill one another. And you kind of just go through and solve all the puzzles that they're trying to solve to see this stuff all happen. I finally watched the ending of this on YouTube, but I never finished this game and I never even really liked it because I think I was a little too young. It's kind of an adult story in a certain way, which isn't a knock against it exactly, but I wasn't that into this this story. It's kind of hammy, but it is a lot of adults doing kind of adult stuff. Like it has a lot of sort of 
that is feels a little like Bioshock if you want to pick you know a more recent game that has a similar energy. And then the puzzles are really hard. Like that was the other thing. It's just as a kid, I liked solving puzzles and I liked adventure game puzzles, but these puzzles are they were just more sort of abstract and more like really challenging just you know grid puzzles or word puzzles that you were, they were very restricted you just they showed you a thing and then you had to figure out what to do there may be exceptions to that but mostly it was like you're looking at the puzzle and you're solving it kind of like mist if you want to compare it to another another very successful game where i really liked puzzles more like in monkey island where you're walking around you're picking up things and then you think oh yeah i got that thing and i kind of need something here so i can use that chick that chicken as a pulley to get across this rope or whatever yeah um, whatever it's going to be. I'm totally with you. Hated mists. Loved those types of puzzles. Right. So it was kind of a moment for me to realize, oh, like, well, I'm excited by how this looks. And I I think this is cool because I'm into the technology, but I just don't really like this game. And I don't like playing it. And I really kind of hit my head against it for a while until I finally just stopped because I didn't, wasn't having fun. So I think that was kind of an important moment for me. Mm. Um, fun fact, Seventh Guest, I believe the designer of that game was Graham Devine, who I spoke to for my first book because he went on to work on Halo Wars mm. and a whole bunch of other other stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, I was wondering if any of the people who worked on some of the, on that game had gone on to do things. That's cool. Maddie, you're up next. What's your fourth? Mine is Mist. Gotta gotta have <laughs> Mist on my list. I I know oh, there we go. you guys aren't as into it, but I loved Mist. I was so into Mist. My whole Many family played Mist, which was a huge deal for me at the time. Like the idea I mean, it was like the most successful game, right? It would play so a computer huge. game was uh, like so, so weird mm. and like fascinating to me. And I also think I was too young to really understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even think Mist is that complicated, but it's just complicated enough. So I would have been seven when it came out. I I don't know if I played it right then, but I might have. Um, and we had the strategy guide, which was really helpful for the puzzles, which, like Kirk said, it can be very difficult and opaque. And sometimes you're just it, so it's kind of first person, but really you're just like scrolling through a series of what looked like crappy Polaroid pictures right. and like a tiny <laughs> on your crappy Macintosh computer or whatever we had. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't look good. I also remember thinking most of the characters were black characters because of how poor the rendering was. And then like much later in life, I was like, oh, I thought the Atris family was like all black actors who were cast. No, <laughs> no, it's just no. really hard to wow. see them. You were like, wow, di- who said, yeah. why do people think diversity is a problem? Yeah, I was like, what about all the ma- I games think of I like, time. literally yes. did Google that like pretty early on in my games writing career. I was like, but what about all the characters in Miss? And then I was like, oh no, I just had like a really crappy monitor. That's interesting. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Anywho, um, the main twist of mist which i guess i can spoil in case anyone somehow hasn't played mist and still wants to um go for it it's kind of a pain in the butt to play uh so there's these two brothers and they're trapped in these mystical books and you yourself are also trapped in a book you enter the world of mist by being transported into a book so there's books within books christopher nolan would love it uh so you're (laughs) you're talking to these two brothers who are each trapped in a book and they're both not trustworthy. Like one of them kind of has an anger problem and the other one is sort of like, he's really smarmy and he's always sucking up to you, but he also doesn't seem trustworthy. So they both seem, they're both antagonists. And as a kid, I was like, wow, I really don't trust either of these guys. And I got to the end, Mm -hmm. like you collect all the pages and I remember choosing one 
and he kills you if you complete his quest. And he's like, haha, now you're going to be trapped in the book because you completed my quest. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. did that wrong. Let me reload that. Let me try the other <laughs> brother. And then I also died. And I was like so confused by that. I was like, how is there no ending to this game? Like, what the hell? Like, what's happening here? And I was like, flummoxed by the idea that there could be two different bad endings and that I had chosen both of them and I was like well what am I even supposed to do I don't even I don't even get what this game is then and That's my sister cool. my sister of course had already beaten the game classic and she was like the worst. just Gosh. the worst she's like god you dummy <laughs> no, she was she was very she was very kind and caring even though I, my competitive yes. spirit was like i can't believe she's already beaten this but she was like <laughs> well so the two brothers told you not to trust their dad but you shouldn't trust either of them, right? So maybe you should try talking to their dad. And I was like, but I've been told not to talk to their dad for the whole <laughs> game. That's what they told me not to do. And I was like, just my mind was blown by that. Oh, that man. that was the real right. way that you win, was to do what the two characters had been telling you to never do. Like, especially as a child, I feel like the idea that a game sure. character could lie to you was like crazy to me. I was like, <laughs> what, they could just lie? Like, that's nuts. Like, the game's supposed to tell you where to go. It blew my mind. And it still kind of does. I still think Mist is pretty iconic, honestly. Pretty good ending. Oh, man. I, mean, I remember it was the biggest game in the whole world. Yeah. And I did kind of feel pushed away by the puzzles, but the atmosphere was so remarkable in that game. Like, yeah. it just still has that weird lonely sort of vibe I, there's not really another game that that feels it's like cool that. it's weird and it feels almost kind of scary at points because you're like yeah. i'm all alone like what is happening mm -hmm. and nothing ever jumps out at you but it always kind of feels like maybe it could yeah i never got as far as the story because i was always just like turned off by all the levers and things to rotate <laughs> and shit like that i was like <laughs> what, what is going on here yeah whereas yeah. i was like i am exactly like leonardo da vinci i love puzzles i love right. this shit give me a lever i'll rotate that i'll play a little you know, piano you... ditty and like unlock something great nice. i really <laughs> love the rune games now and those are a lot like mist yes. i feel like i would maybe like mist now if i want maybe i don't know it's it's pretty tedious <laughs> well and they made that there's that sequel whatever it's called that's, yeah riven that's spiritual success yeah i never yeah. beat that well that there's another more hard. recent well one. There, more recently yeah. abduction oh, sure. is a yeah, more yeah. Recent yeah that's an abduction um yeah. all right my game is kind of along the same theme as yours kirk is that it is a game i hated so my <laughs> game is a little game called evergrace evergrace ever is developed by a little never company named Deep from cut. software whoa of all people okay so from software pre yeah. miyazaki was a very different type of company anyway so here's the context let me set the scene it is 2000 um i have uh i grew up playing nintendo systems and then switched to playstation because final fantasy switched to playstation and like many kids i was going where final fantasy went mm -hmm. and then i wanted a playstation 2 because final fantasy 10 was going to be on playstation 2 and i had it was to, twice as good as the it. original playstation exactly yeah. twice as good um, so cut to 2000. I remember it was like I asked my parents for a PlayStation 2 for my birthday because it was like coming out later that year. And they were like, uh, this is $300. Are you kidding me? I was like, what if it's like also my bar mitzvah present? What if it's combined with what if it's also <laughs> so Hanukkah? What if it's like all these? Uh, I want to cash well, I'll in. I'll never ask for anything again. I'm going to take it in on presents. Anyway. <laughs> They were very generous, got me a PS2 on, in October or November, whenever it came out that year. And 
like many consoles, the launch lineup for the PlayStation 2 was not very robust. But I told my parents, and they knew that I liked role-playing games. That was pretty much all I played. So they got me the two role-playing games that came out alongside the PS2. And those were both by From Software. One was called Eternal Ring. The other was called Evergrace. And so the reason that Evergrace was formative was because it was the first game I played and I was like, wow, this is terrible. I never want to play this again. (laughs) Because when you're growing up, when I was growing up, I played a lot of bad games. The NES had a ton of crap shovelware. Game Boy did too, as you mentioned, Kirk, before. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of bad stuff that I played. But like when you're a kid, you don't realize it's bad. You just kind of play it. And you're like, you know what? I have it. I'm just going to play it. Especially when you don't have that many games. Yeah. You don't have that many games. You're just going to keep playing it. Maybe you'll stop playing it, but you'll you'll assume it's because of you and not because of the game. Like you won't, you don't have the critical thinking skills necessary to be like, oh, this is a bad piece of art. But at 13, I was old enough to recognize like wow this is bad and so evergrace is a formative (laughs) experience because it was my first game that i got and i was like wow this is really shitty i don't want to play this anymore i can't believe that i my like my parents spent money on this thing um and so my ps2 sat sat around like unused for a long time until i think final fantasy 10 came out or some other like rpg that was actually decent came out and i could play that on there and i went back to the ps1 and I don't know if my parents actually knew that this PS2 was, that I had begged them for, that they spent a lot of money on, was just like sitting around collecting dust. But uh, I hope they never found out because it was very, very sad experience. So, yeah, sometimes the formative games are the ones that teach you that there are bad games in this world that you should wow. not play. <laughs> I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for this and it says, Gameplay. Evergrace features two main characters, Darius the Swordsman and Charlene the Homemaker, with two distinctly different (laughs) storylines and different battle techniques. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I I I played that much. I definitely didn't play enough to remember that. You didn't meet Charlene the Homemaker? (laughs) Charlene the Homemaker, wow. I wonder what that involved like you got to make cupcakes in time for the school board meeting like what what is the gameplay this is a from software game like today in elden ring you would find an npc named charlie in the homemaker and she would be the hardest boss in the game like (laughs) so like it it does the the (laughs) same that's true we can't read too much we can't read too much from a name that's true true. yeah reading wikipedia out of context isn't totally fair um but yeah evergrace is a bad game anyway let's get to our (laughs) final selection final picks first all right mine is not a video game it's a card game a card game called magic the gathering of course i played kind of a lot of magic the gathering when i was in middle school so this game i believe came out in 1993 Mm -hmm. and i was probably playing it in 1994 which i wouldn't have guessed when i was playing it that it had come out as recently um as it had but because uh, it just seemed kind of established. And I wish I could remember hearing about this game or sort of, you know, what it was like, who it was who told me about it and what the how they described it to me to get me into it. But at some point, a group of friends and I, after school, we would take the I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. We would take the um, the local city bus after middle school. There was a bus stop right by our school. And we would go down and get on the bus and we would go downtown. And downtown in Bloomington, Indiana, that's like Kirkwood, which is the street that's the kind of main drag for uh, Indiana University, which is in Bloomington. You, did you spend a lot of time on Kirkwood? Uh, I would, wouldn't I? Beautiful. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff there. That's where, where the library is. Uh, where just sort of places you can go hang out if you're, you know, still kind of a kid, but you're in middle school and you, right, you want to go 
have some fun. So I go to the library, to the to the Monroe County Public Library on Kirkwood and Bloomington, and I know that at least three people listening to this are probably very excited to hear me calling out these places. <laughs> so at the library, I don't know, we would kind of just go there and hang out, and then at some point we met up, we, we started hanging out with these older kids who would play Magic the Gathering, and I don't remember who any of them really were. They were kind of like older nerds from the high school that I would eventually go to. And we were younger nerds who were going to go to that high school. And I wound up in this just sort of rotating group where there was a little area in the library and everyone would bring their decks and people would just play. And it would kind of be, it wasn't like, I don't think we ever did a tournament, but it was kind of, you know, I got next, you know, people rotating around. And it was really fun. It's the only time I've ever done something like that with like a competitive game or certainly a card game. I tried to get into um, the the unfortunately named Jihad, which was the game uh, based on Vampire the Masquerade, which is also a card game and a role-playing game I'd played some of. But I was never really that into it. But I got pretty into Magic the Gathering. I had a black deck. That was my sort of element. That's where you use the swamps to get power. And I had a card called the Nightmare, which is a card that scales in power with how many swamps you have in play. I wonder if the Nightmare still exists. It was ludicrously overpowered, at least in my deck. And I had like three of them. And so it was the kind of thing where I would just play until I could bring out my Nightmares. And I would be playing all these swamps. And then I'd play them and they'd just, you know, be whatever, like a 9-9 monster or something. And I would just destroy my opponents. But I wasn't actually good. I just kind of had that one cheesy strategy that worked on some of my friends. But I think when I would play the high school kids who had, you know, good decks and knew what they were doing, they would just mop the floor with me. Did you ever play the computer game, the magic computer game? A like little bit. Like the 96 one. I, well, I, I played the one that was, they came out with a version that was on iPad, and I played a little bit of that. And I guess I played Ascension, which is very similar. And then since then, there I've played so many digital card games that are all inspired in some way. But no, I haven't I haven't really. Well, the one the one in 1997 was special because that was one where there was like this world and a story and you go around, and you kill creatures and take their cars and stuff. It wasn't just like a translation of yeah. the, the card game. It was the card game was gameplay for this bigger. So sort of like thing. the Witcher Gwent game where there's exactly. like a story. Exactly. But that that game, uh, <laughs> just a fun little tangent here. Um, yeah. There is a character in that game named Tutorial Witch. And you will not <laughs> believe who the actress is who plays Tutorial Witch. Are you ready? Meryl Streep. <laughs> Maddie, any guesses? Uh, Jennifer Hale. <laughs> I don't know. Ray Seahorn. Kim Wexler herself oh, is tutorial. Oh, man, amazing. Oh, the Magic the Gathering. God, I love, video I love like, early career casting like that. That's so cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that was a cool thing about Magic the Gathering was that the art was so fantastic. And it really, like, even the names of the cards, it really implied a whole world without... Needing yeah. to flesh it out with lore, but it did really capture my imagination. I remember the force of nature. That was, I think I maybe did a green black deck sometimes because I had some good green cards. That was a powerful green card. It looked kind of like Swamp Thing, and yeah, it was just I called Force that, of Nature, and it was like, what's that? So lots of things like that. <laughs> Do you that. remember Sarah Angel? That was always one of my go-to. Yeah, oh man, that's right. Sarah Angel. That was a white card, right? It was like, yeah, just a beefy, like a 5-5 five, five flying creature. That was just And then like, was it called Black Orpheus? Was that the name of the card? Which no, one? it wasn't. Black Orpheus is a jazz a jazz standard. Black Lotus is that what you're thinking? Of? Um, yeah, oh, it's a uh, black black Lotus. Black Lotus. Well, I had a friend yeah. who had a Black Lotus. Wow. No way, they're worth so much yeah, money. Yeah, they are. I bet now it's worth even more. It was worth a lot 
even then the game was pretty new yeah, yeah. even back then because it was banned they had this like collection and they were like oh, right. the computer game used this well they had the banned cards were in the computer game but they were as like legendary cards so there was only one would exist in the whole world like oh, that wow. sort of thing that's fun right. it's cool yeah it's a cool game the computer game also had cards that would not be possible in the real world because they used like random numbers so it created oh, a couple of cool. cards that would be possible only on that yeah oh man um, I'm reading and yeah Black Lotus is the single most valuable normally printed card in the game of magic printed in a standard set yeah because it was banned they stopped producing them so that's why because it was too powerful it was zero you put it down for free and you you sacrifice it and you get three mana it was like you could destroy anybody if you got that in your right it it was like a way to kill to like do a zerg rush kind of thing at the very beginning Uh, yeah that okay so i'm just reading a little more here this is via (laughs) the uh, magic the gathering wiki sorry but in 2019, a 9.5 grade mint version of um, Alpha Black Lotus sold for $166,100. Great. And, oh my God, wait. Uh, <laughs> and in 2021, a mint 10 grade sold for $511,000. This is making me wonder if my friend... Yeah, you got to find out. I'm it. still in touch with him. I'm going to ask him because it could be he had a fake one or something. Like I, This was a long time ago. Uh-huh. I think he had a real one, though. Man, I'm going to have to ask him if he hung on to that because, wow. <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was always tough to tell if, it, if something was fake or real. Right, and there were definitely forged black lotuses out yeah. there. Uh, yeah, for sure. $511,000 could buy a house for that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like a pretty nice house. <laughs> uh, um, Goodness d- gracious. Did you ever play Hearthstone, Kirk? Yeah, I really liked it. I didn't okay. get super I did into too. it. But yeah, it's I liked great. it, too. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. It felt like a worthy, worthy successor in some ways. For sure. Magic. All right, Maddie, what's your final game? My final game is Doom. I really stuck with elementary school for all my. I'm picks, glad somebody picked it. Nice. Uh, yeah. I I feel like if I'd gone all the way up to thirteen, I can't believe you didn't pick Street Fighter. In well, see, that's that's what Super I was going to say because I I well I didn't play those till later in life for one. Um, but the other okay. thing, I didn't start playing fighting games in Counter Strike until you know thirteen and up, and I just I didn't uh, go that I didn't go that high up in my age here. Mm-hmm. Doom was like the first violent adult game that I played and I played it at a friend's house on his dad's computer and we weren't supposed to be playing it but he had already secretly played all of it and was like all right we're gonna do this I'm gonna show you this whole game and we played it and I don't know his dad wasn't home and his mom always just kind of let us do whatever we were gonna do I think she got very tired of us (laughs) (laughs) we could be very loud um but yeah I remember that game was like the first serious shooter I had ever seen, I think. Um, Post Oregon Trail Deluxe years, of course, where I was like, oh, you can just right. shoot it, guys, with a gun? <laughs> That's so cool. I, I don't know what was wrong with my brain that I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, but... I thought Doom was the coolest thing ever. I think a lot of people <laughs> thought Doom was the coolest thing the ever. Coolest thing <laughs> it kind ever. of was. And it was <laughs> yeah. also a little scary. I mean, like, not in, like, mm-hmm. a horror jump out way, but, like, a illicit, violent way in the way that, like, yeah. Mortal Kombat kind of was. And it when was the like, satanic feels stuff. So, the, the satanic there's, panic Yeah, was, there's, like, pentagram. Not too far behind us. And like, you know, people were still like, oh, are video games a little bit dangerous and like adult? Mm -hmm. Like that was, it was prime that time period. So I I 
have good memories of playing Doom and being like, ooh, this is like a whole new world I'm entering into. And then, you know, it's just all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> Doom holds yeah. up. I played, was playing that it's game recently. Great. It's still really fun. I would sneak up at like five in the morning before school to play Doom on my dad's laptop. And then I would erase it <laughs> so that he didn't know that I was <laughs> playing know. it. Nice. I think I've told this nice. story on the show before. I, so. I just need to ask my parents though. if they knew. If they knew that I, I was sure doing that. I am sure Aaron's dad knew, and I'm sure yeah. he did not care. Like, I just, right. I think he probably was like, I, they're having a good time. You know, there's nothing that bad in there. Right. <laughs> part part of the whole parenting thing is deciding what to let slide. And yeah. I imagine it's like, Aaron's. It's fine. <laughs> not such a big deal. Um, okay. My final game is sort of, is an online game. It is a MUD, a multi-user dungeon. Right. I know you played you these. Call it, called AVP, AVP MUD. So, uh, like many millennials, I think I think pretty much everyone who grew up during the internet age wound up finding like an internet home, so to speak, the place where they spend the most of their time. Whether it was like Neopets forums or AOL message board (laughs) chat rooms or whatever, live chat rooms or whatever, um, or websites like GameFAQs. A lot of people are on GameFAQs message boards, (laughs) fanfiction.net. But but usually it was someplace where you could communicate with other people, not just like post your own things, like a forum of some sort. This was Mm -hmm. the pre-Twitter, Facebook days. So nowadays, Twitter or Facebook is everyone's home, but internet home. But this was a different time or Discord or whatever. So Um, when you say AVP, I have an immediate association with those letters that I believe is the correct association, but I want to hear about this. Aliens versus Predator. Remember (laughs) the other day? Remember a few weeks ago you were talking about Prey? And I was like, I have a Mm -hmm. lot of Predator lore because I used to play play as a Predator. So basically, so a mud, for people who aren't familiar, is essentially... A proto-MMO. Before there were MMOs, there were MUDs. MUDs are text-based MMOs. So instead of uh, instead of like clicking, instead of having a graphical interface, you just have text and you just read. And it'll say, you are standing in front of a White House or whatever. You are standing sure. here in this place. And there are people who ran these things. They would be coders and builders. And they would write descriptions of each room you would come across. And so you get to this room and it's written by someone who runs the game. And so I, a friend of mine got me into this AVP mod and I started playing it. And it became my internet home. I became friends with people on there. I started... It's it's a PvP mud, so it's very competitive, and you go around and like you level up, and then you try to fight each other. Um, and it was it's like it was the perfect size because it was like big enough that there were always a few players online, but it was small enough that like you could really get to know a lot of the people who you played with. Um, and then over the course of like the next five, six years, basically throughout all of high school, like eighth grade to college, um, I. All I did was play mutts. Like that was my leisure time. Oh, that was my social life to the point where mm-hmm. like I got a girlfriend to play a mud with me. Um, so I started off just as a player, wound up like becoming a staff member and like working on the game. I have this sure. like sure. I have this vivid memory of the first time that I got like quote unquote promoted to staff member and like getting to use these unpaid, tools, I assume. These behind of course unpaid. It was all free. <laughs> this thing was totally free. Like no one was making money. Well, the, some people were making money off muds, but not the one I played. Um the one I played was totally free no microtransactions or anything although microtransactions really started in the mud in the mud days in various forms but anyway um 
So I would, uh, I would, yeah, I would play with it. I have this intimate, this vivid memory of the first time that I got like a behind the scenes glimpse and I could like move rooms around and control things. I was like, oh my God, so much power. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, this is like essentially my internet. I created my own mud. You guys will not be surprised to hear that I, I made a mud based on Suikoden and it was set in the world of Suikoden and people could like oh play with each God. other in this world. Holy shit. Does this still exist somewhere? Are there going to be people who write in and are like, I played Jason Suikoden mud? And I am only now I would learning that love that to happened. hear from those people. Because that would be wild. I don't think so. It wasn't that popular. Like we had, we, we <laughs> so had a few people. So two people like, total played it, and Jason knows both of it them. It could be that popular. <laughs> it could. Yeah, it could. Be. It's it's possible. I have the code on my desktop. You basically you need to like oh have a God. Unix server that you that you pay for in order to get it running, and it's a, a bit of I'm, a process. I'm gonna guess we can make this happen within seconds. Like by sure. Me- yeah, really going to the to triple click like, Discord <laughs> asking one I really want to play Jason's Sweet Code in Mud. I, I doubt it. I don't think that many people played it. Because, like, <laughs> no, I mean, I am sure somebody has a Unix server that we could put it on if we oh, wanted to run sure. it. Sure. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I barely remember. But I did learn how to code. I did learn how to program just so I could do this. I had, like, uh, at one point when I was like 12, I had, like, a fake, like, an internet girlfriend. I still don't even, to this day, I don't even know if it was a real woman or if it was, like, a catfish. It probably um, was. Who, a real like a, an, an internet crush, like a crush in a mud. Right, like this right. became my life. This is the pre. Like I only I got into WoW for a bit, but I I never really got into any MMOs like hardcore. Mm-hmm. This was my like version of that. I would like I remember going on vacation to like a foreign country with my family and like finding an internet cafe and just being like, <laughs> just, just like, park me here, just park me here. I gotta check in because <laughs> I would tell people like, hey, I'm gone for a week. Like don't in case you're wondering, I'm going. Right. For a right. week. Um, you would have clans and like guilds and stuff. You would you would all hang out together. To wow. this day, I mean there are still a couple people I'm like semi in touch with I'm who sure, I played yeah. MUDs with back in the day. And we would like be we were staffed together. And um the guy who ran AVP Mud, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he works for Blizzard now. Uh wow. so he wound huh. up becoming like a, a programmer in the video game industry. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. But uh, yeah, that was my that was my internet social life for a very long time. It was like this text based game. So wow. yes, Kirk, aliens and predators. If you played as an alien, Amazing. you like started off as a face hugger and then became a chest burster <laughs> and then like evolved your way up. That's perfect. If Hell you, yeah! You could be a marine yeah. and you could hang out on the. Who would want to be a marine? Why would you do that? Yeah. The Nostromo that was fun. or whatever. Because you got called? a lot of you hung out of the Nostromo. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Is that what it's um, sure. Because you could you could get like plasma rifles and like cool weapons as yeah, a marine. Who cares? But I was always, you want to be an alien. Was, Come on. I was or always a predator. a predator. If you're a predator, mm. you start off in like these hunting grounds as a Yautja and you can speak the Yautja language and get <laughs> you like learn. you can cool you can turn invisible um and stalk people. Because remember, so this is a PvP mutt, so you're fighting against the other races. And so there would be times when like someone would be like, war in such and such and everyone would go to that zone and like take each other on and fight each other and it it taught me how to type very fast because the only way to like the way to play was to type very fast did you ever play the pvp alien versus predator game where you could play as either of the three it's it was pretty cool it would not be it would not if it's not text-based i'm not oh no i mean i'm I'm not at all saying that it was i'm sure it's not as cool as the mud but it was it was i remember it being a surprisingly cool game where it was a super like asymmetrical game where you could be a marine running around with a gun or you're an alien like climbing the walls and you, uh-huh. the camera went all fisheye and crazy and then you're a predator with night vision like stomping around blowing stuff up 
it was it was at least a cool concept. I don't know how it would hold up now, but it was so a neat idea. one of the most fun things back then was again becoming staff and like creating stuff and then learning how to code some basic stuff through that. And basically, my my introduction to the world of coding, which I'm sure is a lot of people how a lot of people do this, was just like reading someone else's code and just copying, like figuring out, okay, this sure. is what I want to do. I'm just yep. gonna copy what this person did here and then take from here and then like take how from I learned here. HTML. Yeah, from <laughs> exactly. what I understand, exactly. that's how everybody codes. Exactly. No, it was so. <laughs> That's what it I was hear so cool. anyway. <laughs> there was nothing more satisfying as like a teenager than like someone requesting something of me in like one of the muds I ran, whether it was sweet code in, I had like a Diablo mud at some point. Um, and me being like, okay, let me figure out if I can make this happen and like learning the code for it nice. and then injecting it into the system and like being like, okay, it works now. Um, I remember building like a whole combat system for sweet code in mud. Uh, I remember playing around with a turn-based system at one point, which did not work super well. But anyway, yeah, I had some addicted players which was cool watching people be nice. like addicted to the game that I created was a fun experience game developer Jason also kind of got all of the any sort of game design instincts I might have had got all that out as a teenager right zero interest <laughs> in ever designing but yeah, yeah that was funny. my uh, AVP mod was was the place to be back then yeah if anyone on triple if any triple click listeners have played AVP mod hit, let me know Probably, I doubt anyone has played Sweet Code in Mud, but if by some chance you have, I remember creating like an ASCII world map where it was like a map that was like sure, in, sure. through like letters, like asterisks and other mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. various uh, like at signs and hashtags Perfect. and stuff like that. Great. Yeah, it was fun times. That's, nice. that's amazing. I've learned so much about you two. This was fun. Yeah, those were those are our formative our formative. Yeah, that was fifteen good games there. Well, some of them weren't good, I guess. <laughs> some of them <laughs> yeah, don't man. hold up at all, but they made us who we are today. <laughs> they did. It's true. So should we all? Let's all before we wrap. Let's all just like list our games real quick, sure. so people have a reference point. Kirk, you start. Just do your five. Sure, I'll go first, and I'll I'll put these in the show notes as well. Um, so my games were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Fall of the Foot Clan for the Game Boy, King's Quest Six Air. Air Today, Gone Tomorrow uh, for the PC. At least I played it on PC. The Seventh Guest for CD-ROM PC. Quest for Glory 4, Shadows of Darkness, also on PC. And Magic the Gathering, a card game that you play IRL. Cool. So mine are Tetris for the Game Boy, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, uh, Oregon Trail Deluxe for PC, Mist for PC, and Doom for PC. Nice. Uh, mine are Zork Zero, Final Fantasy IV, Warcraft II, Evergrace, the one and only Evergrace, yes. and AVP Mud. Uh, cool. Well, that has been it for this month's bonus episode. Yeah, Once this again, was fun. thank you to all of you for being supporters of our yeah, little thank old you. show. Thanks. And we will see you all next time. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this bonus episode, it means you're already a member. So thank you. We really appreciate your support. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Jason's frozen. Yeah. Oh, oh no, he's just not oh, moving. No. I was just not moving. Yeah, it's just not moving. <laughs> we need to know. You need to send us proof of life. No, he's just being still. <laughs> That's weird. Why don't people do that more where they like to pretend to be moving. like... <laughs> we need to know But then they're not frozen. <laughs> they're just pretending. <laughs> terrifying right oh my gosh i bet you that human statues do that to fuck with their coworkers. It's like human statue skills on zoom <laughs> see that's remote work am i right guys <laughs> <laughs> how is that not an snl sketch you should send this to oh SNL. it's like the stupidest sketch idea ever it's like it a human perfect, statue like... meeting on zoom and like all of them keep freezing how is that not right it would have been right like... early when they're all on zoom just oh my terrible God. like early covid sketch, sketch where it's like the human statues are going um, on zoom too let's just say it was let's let's just say it was <laughs> oh, jason like really froze now <laughs> wait hold on hold on hold on jason yeah, you just froze again. i just froze for real what is real what is fake yeah hold on i'm gonna switch okay. i'm gonna switch around a little bit give me one sec give me one sec <sighs> remote podcasting